0: fellow travelers, and welcome to The Way of the Showman, where we view the world through the lens of showmanship. I am your gracious host and guide along the way. I am Captain Frodo, and it's a pleasure to have you back with us if you've come along on this trip before. And uh, if you're new, then you're very welcome. We are um, starting a new... Um, topic over the last few episodes before we have talked about the art of entertainment but the whole project here in this second season has uh, been to explore what the way is and of course the way of the showman is kind of ultimately it's what the world looks like from a performer's point of view Um, and in this case I guess ultimately it becomes me what does the world look like for me and The core of this whole thing, it all boils down to some of the stuff that we looked at in the episode that's called The Anatomy of uh, Showmanship. And that goes back uh, quite a few um, episodes now. It's um, episode 35, The Anatomy of Showmanship. And we've also looked at The Anatomy of Show, because anyway, the, the main components are the showman and the audience... And as the audience and the showman meet in joint uh, attention, then a show emerges from that. And this is like the fundamental, or you could call it the ontology, or as I did, the anatomy. But there that word slipped in, attention, joint attention, as uh, two people or as one person facing a group of others um, both pay attention to the same thing, then something new emerges a show or as we looked at a little bit like art emerges the painting hangs on the wall but it's just a bunch of color on a canvas and the art emerges when it is being looked at by a human being Uh, then the experience of art kind of emerges in this meeting and this Underlies everything that I have spoken about, and even though we've taken, um, you know, what might feel like detours, we sort of go well as we explored who the showman was in uh, episode 40, we'd sort of prefaced that in the episode before about this idea of going, How do you actually find your calling? and uh, so everything here has been building up there. So, from um, episode um, 40 or so where we talked about the showman and then we started talking about um, the audience who is it that's actually watching us and what are the characteristics of those and what is our attitude towards it we explored that upwards and then um, we started looking at our attitude towards those as a performer what do you actually feel about your audience and can all these feelings uh, um, this is what we looked at in episode 48 and 49 with reverence and we're just exploring what the actual relationship is between us because as we are seeing here we we are finding what is between the audience and the performer this is where the show is this is the point of interest and if we go back to I've talked about this before how interest as in the the space between also inter, between, and est being this word the meeting point between the two this is the show and this is what we've looked at so um, we've looked at this in the past and I'm just doing a bit of a summary up here now because we are sort of swapping into one more, we've spoken about the showman and all the different things that might involved in that and again got to point out that I'm using showman because this was started as an idiosyncratic thing for myself and for my writing and for me understanding what I was doing and um, man is used in uh, ancient and probably obsolete way of being used as the word to denote uh, mankind or humanity or humans So yeah, anyway, the performer and uh, and the audience. So those we've looked at, the performer, what goes into that, we've looked at the audience and now we're going to sort of flip it and going not to talk about the show, which is sort of the angles in the triangle we talked about in the geometry of showmanship and in the triangle eye symbol, you know, with a triangle and inside there is an eye, famous from the dollar bill of America, where it's the... On top of a pyramid, and perhaps famous from uh, the logo of this very podcast. Um, those three, that's the three points, and that could be seen fruitfully to uh, um, represent or indicate the showman in the bottom left corner and audience in the bottom right corner and goes up into a point, which is the show. But the thing which is in the middle, which kind of makes all of this come into being, is attention. And we are now heading into the last sort of section of this long season that we have been uh, going through together. And it'll sort of blend a little bit together now because the attention is what creates the show. So we've looked at the two fundamental things of the showman and the audience and now we're looking at the attention that makes the show emerge so as is often the case in my explorations I begin by trying to get a little grasp of what we are actually talking about and I do this um, not, not to I don't want to create a definition we want to sort of paint a picture of uh, what uh, attention is so that is what we're going to do today we are going to look at what is attention attention pay attention at ease but in an attentive state now when you break it down to its most basic form what a showman does is manipulate attention. What a showman does is manipulate or work or change or shape like an like a sculptor uh, molds and shapes clay and a showman manipulates attention. Um, We present our skills as you know, we present them in the forms of acts or shows or, you know, or a concert. But these products of creation are incomplete phenomena. Empty forms if no one pays attention to them. Add to this that the work only exists because a showman focuses his attention to create the work. And then we get the gist of why the most fundamental unit of a showman's work is the molding of human attention. Attention is arguably the most foundational and important phenomena, not just for showmanship but for life in general, because attention is how we experience anything and everything. It's how we connect to the world. It is the faculty which tells us about the world and about ourselves and about the relationship between the two what we pay attention to shapes who we are and also how we experience the world what is attention as best as i can grasp it attention is a faculty which helps us understand which it does by filtering it helps us to understand like just it's what helps us grasp stuff at all it's so foundational that it's hard to sometimes express exactly what it is. And it does this um uh, the way we can grasp or we can understand something is by filtering. It attention focuses on one thing and as it as we focus on one thing, others are at least temporarily left out. And in this way, the attention process is Sort of about prioritizing. Without this process of filtering and prioritizing, our experience would be an unfathomable, undifferentiated chaos. It'd just all be flying past us with no rhyme or reason. Because there is always going to be too much information in the world for our brains to deal with. You can't possibly grasp everything. It's impossible to take in all the sensory data and combine it with all your previous knowledge that you have stored in your memory whilst simultaneously engaging with all of this and also then thinking out all the possible connections and implications and from all of this again on top of that to extrapolate what the best action would be in any given situation. The world is infinitely rich in detail and all of what you're you're perceiving your through your eyes, through your ears, through your taste through your touch and all how all of this interconnects is just exploded into a million other potentials when we take in all the concepts of and all the ideas and all the many ways to look at this stuff. So no matter how we look at it, the wealth of imp- information around us and also inside us and the task of processing it all will be combinatorially explosive and thus completely overwhelm us. And this word combinatorially explosive is something I have from John Verveke which also talks about these things in his excellent uh, YouTube course Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, which is a brilliant thing to expand your mind. Anyway, the world will overload any system no matter how powerful and when i say the world i guess i mean reality or the what we experience in in and around us and i do think that in a very real way the solution to this problem of combinatorially explosive inputs from the world and the emotional outputs that's and Thoughts and desires, and what you want from inside yourself, that the solution to this uh, problem of trying to grasp it is attention. This is this filtering, this is what attention does. It's what allows you to be to shape all of these things out, and also it is what allows you to be present in the moment with what is going on around you and this we will look at this later on but I spoke about meditation before a few times and meditation is of course when you're doing this mindfulness meditation it is to become aware of what you are paying attention to and how um, paying proper attention to what's going on can actually literally alter your relationship to yourself and to the world that's try and concretize this because sometimes when you're making these when I'm making these try to boil down what it is it becomes the the ideas become so um, boiled down and so rich or whatever that you need to unpack them a little bit so let's say that I'm at a busy intersection and I want to cross the street safely I need to narrow down and prioritize the information that I receive from the world this we need to do i I need to keep focus on the cars whizzing past that's more important than the drifting clouds above my head and the people walking all around me now if i couldn't process and prioritize this wealth of information into some sort of hierarchy of relevance i simply couldn't function like if i can't um see that it's more important to look out for the cars than to look at the sky at the clouds then I, not only couldn't I safely cross the street, I probably wouldn't have any desire to cross it at all. If it's all one undifferentiated uh, chaos, then I'd probably just remain standing, completely paralyzed and apathetic, as no goal would rise above any other. The sheer cacophony of existence would make me unable to respond. And the world, it just comes at me and is bombarding me with its clouds and cars and the hardness of the tarmac and the noise of the vehicles and the wind and chatter of people and beeping of phones and smells of many kinds from the bakery and from perfumes of people walking by and endless amounts of other stimulus, all equally loud and relevant. Simultaneously, ideas and emotions well up from inside me, and every impression or thought easily combined with any other memory or impression that just happens to surface in me, triggered by who knows what. And the result of this is an ever-expanding explosion of combinations on top of the ever-expanding explosion of impressions. And attention is the filter I use to separate and focus my awareness. I'm standing on the hard tarmac. I want to cross the road, maybe to ask the chicken once and for all why it crossed the road. Anyway, I see vehicles moving, and there's a gap between two of them, and when that gap comes to the place I am now standing, I will place one foot in front of the other, and I will walk across to that fabled chicken. Attention makes me understand the world and myself, my wants and desires, and how to achieve them in the world. But attention is even more fundamental than that. It's not just another cognitive function like thinking, feeling, or sensing. It is how our world comes into being for us. We only become aware of the world and its contents by the attention process, filtering and separating phenomena from each other. And since this filtering and focusing is a narrowing of the information available to us, It quite literally removes part of the world from our awareness. If I'm only paying attention to the words on the page of the book that I'm reading, I might miss the fact that just to my left a man goes down on one knee to propose to his partner. In my version of the world, that event never happened. I was there, I might say, and for me that proposition did not happen and that would be true because it just was not part of my awareness so from my very limited point of view there nobody proposed anything to anyone near me or other places as far as I knew the world ceased to exist in the moment that I (laughs) fell into the book my attention was um, consumed No, my attention was complete inside the book anyway So, And I find similar omissions of reality if I direct my attention inwards to things like moods or habitual thought patterns, which, until I began paying attention to attention through meditation, I often mistook for uncontrollable natural responses to the world, whilst they, in fact, were made by me and they could change. I could change it. I could change the way... Uh, I paid attention and thus changing myself and through that I could change my relationship uh, to the world so this said that attention is, is very fundamental for us and how we perceive the world and it is also the thing which is all important for us uh, show folk as we learn to as we're going to take these ideas and kind of try and harness them into what to do in this meeting point in the point of interest and this is all bringing back to me the story of david white that i told a <clears throat> few episodes ago where he was where like he has his little girl his daughter is hiding behind his legs and and uh, as he's welcoming people to a party and she runs smiling out for one guest but remains completely hidden for another guest that comes later like the world is responsive to us and the world is not just coming at us it is also being shaped by us interacting with it. The way we pay attention shapes how the world appears for us which then shapes us in return. Our reality is a creative reciprocal process between the world and us much like how what makes a painting into art is the attention paid to it. The art appears through the formation of an attentive relationship. So the world is not completely just outside us, but it's also not just a creation completely by ourselves. Um, and we might have a mistaken idea of the world, like I might have if I was reading a book and somebody proposed to somebody next to me and I would say that's an incomplete uh, version of the world. But I do believe that in a very fundamental way, the world is always more complex than what we can see and what we, what I understand. I mean, it's um, the world is just infinitely rich um, because we never we never actually see something like see the completeness of it because we can't see all its aspects beyond the sort of perceptual aspects that comes through our senses. There's also all of the conceptual aspects and then it's all the imaginal aspects like you're holding some weird object and you go, Oh, maybe this thing could also be a hat or whatever. So that's the imaginational things, but this multi, there's always more aspects to it, to the world. Anything that you look at, if you're looking at the at the at a television standing on the uh, it, it, on the counter or whatever, it has a, a front side has a uh, that you might see, and then you ha- it has a backside that you don't see. And you you form your your mind just it fills in the ideas of that thing, and in that way, you're sort of you're creating it. And then in more conceptual ways, it's like a poem even though the poet might have written down one very specific thing that happened to them like um david whitehead t- telling the story of his uh little girl hiding and and one person meets her and s- sees this beautiful thing uh g- encounter and the other person goes in and is so closed off and they don't know what they're missing out on so in this um this is what i mean when we are partaking in the creation of reality i don't mean that we are Literally creating physical objects or whatever, but um from our limited point of view of experience, there will always be more to reality than what it appears to for us, and coming into a right relationship with a, a, a cultivation of what attention is is good for ourselves, and it's also a really good thing for understanding um to give a foundational understanding that will help us when we are shaping time and attention by presenting our material for audiences in shows so um, let's try and get a little concrete again and a lot of people might have heard of the the sort of analogy or the metaphor where we're looking at attention um, through the metaphor of lights so To get a better grasp of the many facets of attention, because there are different kinds of attention that we can pay, then let's explore it through the most common analogy, and that is where it's likened to light. Let's explore attention through the lenses of three different kinds of light. The most common one that we uh, hear about, that probably springs to mind for you as well is that we hear about the so-called spotlight of attention the spotlight of attention is the dominant image that we have when we talk about attention this is a good way to picture the attention or like picture the ability that i have to focus on one specific thing is um like for instance, I can now focus on my little dog that's uh, chewing on some rawhide stick next to me. And uh, even just looking over at him makes him wonder like, Oh, are we going for a walk? Are we and all those little things I can focus my attention to. It. I can focus my attention on how he moves his head and how he looks expectantly at me. Um, that's all what I can do as I focus my spotlight of attention onto the dog. And then I can focus my... Spotlight of attention onto the thoughts that comes as I see the dog react to me paying attention to it. And when I become um, aware of a clicking sound outside my window, it is my spotlight of attention which allows me to then scan this picture and find the source of the clicking. And in this case, it turns out to be the rope on my neighbor's flagpole. And it's flapping against the pole in the westerly wind. And the spotlight of attention is also what allows me to push away all of this and get back into the typing of these specific words for you to listen to now. The spotlight analogy is apt. It fits very well because one of the key aspects of attention is to be able to manage and narrow our focus on immediate tasks at hand by ignoring a whole lot of other input that we deem not relevant. Our spotlight of attention foregrounds a thing or an event in much the same way that a follow spot in a theater makes a performer stand out by pointing the follow spot on it. And as the follow spot goes on, the whole kind of rest of the stage, just by the difference in brightness, the rest of it sort of disappears out of focus. And in a way, it almost disappears... So that you don't think about it anymore. Of course, the stage and the characters and the actors and performers or whatever in the, on the rest of the stage, they are still there. But for all intents and purposes, they just sort of move, uh, dis- disappear. Yeah, that's the follow spot, brings something into the focus. And the follow spot gives us performers the wonderful power of focused attention from our audience. Like, I mean, now I'm talking about the actual follower spot that's pointing at me when I'm on stage. Um, and it is this uh, wonderful focused attention from our audience, which again allows our smallest actions to be read clearly and to become so meaningful. Um, and this, is, this all maps very well onto this very important aspect of attention. So for us show folk who have spent a significant time in the circus ring in or in a theatre and been pointed at by a follow spot, knows that it's it brings strong focus. But even from our very specific point of view as I'm standing on the stage, if I get the follow spot right in my face, everybody sees me very well, but I can't always then see the audience so well. So... Here we have that image again of very, very clear focus uh, on specificities, loses some of the whole picture. So um, when I lose my attention, it's usually because something interferes with my spotlight of attention. Maybe I'm trying to focus on writing, but I keep being distracted. Like an email dings on my phone, which then reminds me of another email that I should have written, which reminds me that I should focus on writing these words right here. Because that's what I'm going to do. That's what I should be doing right now. Like my spotlight just gets diverted without me wishing it. And you know, there are little showmen in quotations like... Uh, in the forms of apps that are screaming for my attention going like, oh you've got to get on, you haven't done your meditation come on over here and focus, be a little mindful or come and look at somebody you know, vaguely know have put a picture up of their lunch, come and have a look and it's this little phone showman uses exciting vibrations and dings and beeps and little red circles with numbers to tell us just how many things we've missed out on and this storm of attention-grabbing that's going on today is one, pro- probably one of the biggest issues facing us since paying attention properly is what allows us to understand all the other issues. If you're just focusing on something which is completely unimportant, like the clouds, um, when I'm about to cross the road, uh, and you're just going like, does it look like a duck or does it look like a turtle? I can't tell. And if this is what the discussion becomes about, you'll be hit by that car as you tried to cross never find out what indeed why the chicken crossed but anyway I'm always find myself dragged to Boston when we're talking about attention because of the attention economy and and um, all these social media things but let's that let that be a topic for further exploration later now there is this guy that's an expert on um, Attention, and I have been looking at his work a little bit. His name is James William, which means that when you Google him, at least Google thinks I might be getting his name mixed up, and that I'm actually looking for William James, the psycholo- them one of the earliest and a very interesting philosopher and a psychologist anyway this guy's name is actually james william and he's a former google employee now a doctoral candidate researching attention and design ethics at oxford university so he is an expert on attention and he has continued this light metaphor to highlight two at least two further aspects of attention i mean a lot of people have done this uh, uh, work and a lot of very interesting stuff but let's just stick with this one guy you can Google them yourself and find more details. So he's, um, James William goes beyond this spotlight of attention that we've now spoken about. James William describes something that he calls the starlight of attention. So we're expanding this metaphor of light and looking at and what kind of light is starlight? What's the nature of starlight? Like stars are certainly much further away uh, than spotlights and they don't sort of go darting around um, like the spotlight does on the stage. And they are, at least for our human time spans, fixed and dependable. I mean, over thousands of years, even stars move since they are suns far away. But this uh, quality that um, from yesterday to or last year or the last 50 years, this quality that they are far away, fixed and dependable, is what allows sailors to set their course by them we use starlight for navigation not for sort of short uh, distances from one bay to the next but we use it to set the course on bigger journeys and long distances they can be reliably set by starlight so stars gives us the ability to see past the waves immediacy and keep a true course towards and beyond the horizon to more distant goals. So James William links the starlight of attention to our longer-term goals. This kind of attention is not struggling with the immediate present like should I make another cup of tea or should I vacuum the house or maybe see what's happening on social media. The starlight of attention the focus of this is on the larger goals like I want to write this book or I want to be able to swim to Australia or I want to be a good dad and so forth so it's it's the bigger issues where writing the book has a whole lot of writing down this uh, what's now coming out as the episodes on this podcast writing this and continually update it with the feedback that i get from people such as yourself listening to this and the further thoughts and the further things i discover and the further things that i think as i'm writing and rewriting and refining all these ideas um i need to whilst doing all those separate small sort of things i need to have another kind of attention on the fact that i want this what i want the book to do what i'm and, and the, the overall kind of picture and it's this these more larger and, and less immediate in the moment uh, things that's the kind of starlight of attention we have something bigger to focus on beyond the horizon. so we set our longer-term goals with this kind of attention. Now um, um, James Williams's third light analogy is daylight, the daylight of intention and uh, not of intention of attention. And it is this, this daylight, which he thinks of as the most fundamental. And his idea is that you can only see clearly when your surroundings are flooded with daylight. This is the light by which we are able to do everything else in this picture. This is the kind of attention that you use to discern what kind of of dad you would want to be or to discern what, um, what are the qualities and attributes uh, needed for someone to be a good dad like, or for me like how do I or how do, does anyone know exactly what uh, they want their book to say and to know these things you need to have as full an overview as you can uh, which is impossible in the dark. So to know what it's like to be a good dad is in part learned from parental figures and, you know, people you might have encountered, anyone that has been an authority in your life, a teacher or anyone that you you think these these are the good qualities. But it's also, you know, from knowing... Knowing about the spectrum of parenting styles and about relationships between parents and children in songs and poetry. And maybe from research, like as in scientific research and studies. And it was also from intuition and from paying close attention to your own child. All of these things, this adds to it. And this ability to scan the geography of whatever field you're contemplating and participating in, this is done with the daylight of attention so James William um, William he believes that it is this kind of attention um, that in this with this kind of attention is where we work out and where we discover our moral reasoning and our reason intelligence intellectual intelligence and emotional intelligence as well as the physical and bodily intelligence so James William reckons this kind of attention this daylight attention of being able to get the full overview of uh, things and to delve into it and um, that this is of course very then important so as with anything that's human or anything organic then this is all of course it's on the sort of spectrum and one part is so we're sort of trying to illuminate them um, three different aspects or different ways that that um, attention uh, appears for us when we look at it these three different aspects of attention and of course any metaphors or analogy will break down because attention is not a light attention is a whole it's a process and it's not a thing the attention system is a complex phenomena and all of these different kinds of light or whatever are just ways for us to try to grasp its many facets some of it and some of it will still now be left in the dark but i do like how these images of different kinds of light allows me to understand the different limitations and applications um, of our attention the spotlight just to do a little sort of summary here in 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 the end to try and concretize it like the spotlight helps us in our short-term goals we use it to get stuff done in the world or think through common problems this is the kind of attention that's under constant attack from social media internet phone notifications as well as regular old-fashioned life and the starlight keeps our view broader the starlight of attention keeps our view broader and it seeks out our longer-term goals And in these days it feels like a revolutionary act to write a book which will demand sustained attention from a reader, from you, of hours and hours from listeners such as yourself, you know, when Snapchat and WhatsApp and Instagram is dinging in everyone's pockets. And then a sustained focused attention set at longer term goals like I'm going to read and assimilate the ideas in this book are in a sense going against the stream of the current five second, 280 characters attention economy. So in that way, it's a little revolutionary act. So finally, looking at... The daylight attention, the daylight of attention. And this is what sort of helps us to know, how do you know who you are? What's the most important and what does it all mean? How do you become a good person? How do you grow as an artist and a human being? What's important for you and what are the important issues in the world around you? And probably most importantly, who are the people who are really important for you and are you remembering to show them that? you know are you paying attention to them when you are with them? So to grapple with and to come to an understanding of these huge questions, uh, we need the daylight of attention. So with that um, we're coming to an end here uh, of uh, what I wanted to say today. so this understanding attention. Uh, this way to understand attention we can take that with us as we over the next few episodes will explore attention and how it merges into the emergence of a show so we now this all gives us a rudimentary idea of what attention is but really it goes a lot deeper so in the next episode of this exciting exploration along the way of the showman let's go deeper (music) Alright, these explorations, where we go in-depth at these uh, very fundamental things, like attention, is possibly, as I said, one of the most fundamental and most important issues of our time, since what we pay attention to and how we pay attention shapes the world that we're in, and in the chaos of existence, it's the one thing that we can control to get a grasp of what we're doing and how we feel and what's actually going on so it's a very important topic now and um with that it would be just um wrapping it up here and i would just like to say it would be excellent if um you could take some time to write a review maybe write Give us five stars on iTunes or any other place where you get your podcasts. If you have a blog or you have some social media, it would help me immensely to if you would uh, just point out that this, uh, this uh, podcast exists. So write about it there. Leave us a great review. And um, if you are working on some project and you think that uh, you want to have... Uh, person like myself uh, help you explore the depths of meaning that can be found in whatever project you have to increase the impact on the audience or help them uh, pay attention in the right way or help you pay attention in the right way to your own work or whatever it might be then you can contact me on the way of the showman at gmail.com and you can uh, find me on social media as Captain Frodo or as Frodo Santini on Facebook and Instagram So, with all that said, I have come to the end of what I need to tell you today. I just would like to remind you that you should take care of yourself and of those you love. And I hope to see you along the way.